Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast, bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and Jay. Oh, you're not going to screw it up this time? I hope you left the first one in. Oh, okay. Uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. <laughs> I think you should. Maybe. I don't know. I, yeah, it just shows I, Kyle is a human, which isn't something we normally get. So, you know. Why? Instead of a super tactical droid, yeah. you want to show him as the Anakin Skywalker of Star Wars. Yeah. It does not compute. Yeah. I don't know. Anakin yes. Skywalker is still bad. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. I, I, I took a drink immediately before, like during, Mike usually does like a countdown, you know, before the show starts. And then I start talking. Um, I took a drink like in the middle of the countdown. And then it came time for me to start talking. And I had liquid in my mouth so yeah um yeah anyway it happens you, you know it does um yeah so we got a lot to talk about today we're gonna hit invader briefly because we got our group draws mike and i got groups we are not in the same group yes oh that's good that's yeah, that was I mean, my bar that was my expectation bar um, yeah anything beyond that i was uh, very excited about so yeah uh we got some I guess what what is officially called an RRG appendix, a uh, new thing apparently. Uh, so we'll talk about that briefly, and uh, we got some unit cards for both the Fluttercraft and the DSD One Spider Droid. So we'll talk about those, and then our main topic today is we're going to talk about positioning and deployment in our tactics section, which we haven't done one of those in a while. So we're going to hit that. But first, you guys got some housekeeping for us. Yeah, um, I think the usual stefferoni. Uh, let's start with Patreon again. Hey, if you want to listen to our After Dark podcast where we, we deep dive into stuff, we talk about what's going on at the Fifth Trooper, we, we do theory crafting for lists, we sometimes cover unit cards, and Mike and I give our unhindered opinions on things. Um, and then once a month, we do a live Q&A with our Patreon members where you can come on and ask us anything you want and just talk directly to us. And we got one coming up this Thursday at eight. So, you know, uh, any dollar level on the Patreon gets you in. And again, uh, you know, your support, much appreciated, gets all this equipment and servers and all the stuff we need to run the, the blog and the podcast successfully, which is great. Uh, yeah. So Patreon and then Stormtide is rolling. We're, uh, we're a few weeks away from shipping out box two, which we're really excited about. And it seems like you guys are all excited about. There's been some amazing paint jobs of the two commanders I've been seeing in the Discord and Reddit and Facebook groups. So that's been wonderful. Thank you guys for sharing those. And uh, yeah, so box two is coming out, which Mike and I are both excited and exhausted so. no i'm just at this point i'm just excited i'm not exhausted jay is oh, exhausted. I'm exhausted that's fine um i am i am actually uh i'm Sorry. i'm really excited because we've gotten over the first box here's you here you go what does everybody think of it moment um and it seems like people are really into it which is fantastic because if you like the first box, you're going to love everything that comes after it. So um, I definitely, yeah, 
as like uh, an author person putting stuff out into the wild, that was definitely like, uh, you know, a scary moment for me personally. Um, and we're over that hump. So, and, and I'm, yeah, it just gets better from there. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm giving you a virtual fist bump. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, so, I'm exhausted. I know you are. I know you're. Well, I'm giving you a virtual hug, Jay. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's an ex- it's a good exhaustion though. It's just it's just uh, work, right? Like we're yeah. we're put we're just putting a lot of work into this, and you guys are supporting us, which is amazing. Which makes me work harder, which makes me more tired. Is also <laughs> just... at the end of the day, all of your jobs is to make Jay Shalansky tired. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, but thanks to everybody that's been supporting us so far. This It's been great. And we're looking forward to delivering even more and better uh, boxes and scenarios. And it's going to be amazing. So I'm really, really excited about it. Um, we talked about Patreon already. We did. Yep. We have to mention yep. the Q&A. Um, yep. I am going to be attempting to stream again this Invader season. Um, okay. So that's a thing. Hopefully Where are you I'm doing that? On the Fifth Trooper Twitch. That's right. We have a Twitch. Um, that's that's the plan. As long as Jay gives me the logins, which I asked him for this morning, and he hasn't given me yet. So. Did you directly ask me, or did you just put them in a conversation? I did. I, I I directly asked you in a conversation between us. <laughs> I ignore those mostly. I know You're, he's exhausted, people. I don't. Yeah, know I'll get it over to you. We we talked about like thirty things today, so we did. Know. We did. Yeah, uh, um, yeah no problem. But, that is uh that is out of the table so i'm gonna try and do that i think i i i have claimed the game this weekend uh saturday september 4th at 10 30 a.m um between ben of team relentless and ajst from the discord so oh nice um that should be fun assuming that it works i i i'm gonna be honest i'm not sure my internet's gonna be able to handle it but we're gonna find out so, I will definitely get you access before 1030 on Saturday. On Saturday? Yeah. I yeah, that's fine. You will be getting it at 830 on Saturday. <laughs> great. Great. Sweet. Um 1015. Yeah. yeah. So so hopefully, hopefully that'll um kind of kick in. I, I did not stream it all last season. Um but yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, so join us on the Fifth Trooper Twitch for some stream action. We keep trying to get streams going on the Twitch, and hopefully we do this time and get this one going. It'll be great. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, um, sometimes there's not a lot of stuff to stream. Um, It's easier to stream during Invader season because there's a ton of games going on. That's Um, true. But outside of Invader season... Um, the interest, at least in games, is a lot lower, I think, um, at mm-hmm. least for online streaming. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a cyclical, cyclical thing. Anywho, um, so that's, that's a new development. Speaking of Invader, uh, why don't we just go into our news segment here? Welcome to In the News. So Invader League starts today. We record on Mondays, so that would be the 30th of August. You guys excited? I have three of five games scheduled so far. Wow. that's I have, I have exactly one game scheduled so far, uh, which is tomorrow. So by the time you hear this, it will probably be over. That would be Tuesday. Um, um, yeah. I, and they're, they're all within six days of today. 
yeah you know i uh round the round robin phase is something where like um i've found that if you don't get them done early they sometimes become hard to do because yeah uh i don't know it just some people in the groups don't have as much time later on or whatever like interest kind of wanes and it's tougher to schedule as time moves on so just trying to knock these knock these guys out yeah that's a that's a word of advice to newer invader players is you definitely want to just try and crank out as many of those five games as you can as early in the schedule as possible because weird stuff happens in the last few weeks and you get scheduling conflicts and then you have to have somebody like resolve who's you know like responsible for not being able to play and like you you don't want to deal with any of that just get your game scheduled yeah that's never fun so yeah that's why we stopped playing team league because i didn't because mike the team captain didn't want to deal with deal with that anymore <laughs> sorry yeah you know it wasn't just you <laughs> um yeah so uh yeah it's we're, we are as we alluded to in separate groups i'm in us 26 uh, I, I'm in US six. Man, that must be a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, it's not the same one this time, so that's a yeah. that is an improvement. It is. Um, yeah, I uh, my group is interesting. I so um, I took a what twelve uh, point bid, I think. Uh, yeah, twelve point bid, mm. and I'm like blue player once, I think. Mm um maybe yeah twice. that sounds about right <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know i think that the highest bid in my group is like 30 well um, which is honestly even in the past in um round round robin uh e- even with formats that kind of uh, reward high bid armies round robin tends to not have as high a bid as like single elims but and i don't this might just be a monster that was created due to the list locking bit right um which is very possible but uh yeah people people are bidding like crazy like my group i think the average bid is like 17 or 18 and i don't i think it's lower than the average I had to guess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've been 20 and I'm, uh, I think I'll be a blue player most of the time, but there's one game where I have a roll off because somebody else bid 20. So, yeah. And then one of the, one of the groups I'm judging, um, I think it's us two. No, sorry. Us one. There's like three people with 25 point bids. <laughs> yeah. <there's laughs> and they're all going to have to roll off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. Uh, definitely indicative of the, how important your objective deck is and the meta that we live in. Well, um, as well and, as our two. Right. I was going to say how important your deployment deck is because it's really a secondary objective deck when R2 is involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how yep. this goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am. Uh, this looks like you got a nice faction spread in yours. I, I have a lot of droid players in mine. So. If by nice faction spread you mean no empire, well, yeah, I mean that's. Um, I think you have to assume that, you know. Ooh, ooh, Kyle, <laughs> that's rough beats. Um, you know, despite the <sighs> faction spread, all of the this is a, this all is a of, tournament, Mike. Come on, all of the all of the lists in my group are like pretty different. 
um yeah there's a there's like a saber tank padme list uh, timbo style um there's an airspeeder speeder truck with no clear thing that goes in the speeder truck except maybe r2 i guess um there's a what else is in here there's a couple other th- oh <laughs> droids rule is playing lando r2 three fleet troopers three wookies and three tauntauns uh, oh that's gonna be a joy to play against <laughs> thank you thank you for that it makes me like throw up in my mouth a little bit it makes me feel way better about playing Kenobi as opposed to Rex. Yeah. Uh, to be completely honest. Um, yeah, yeah, laser stick and force push going to be pretty important. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's another guy playing basically your invader list uh, that you're playing, um, and the last guy in our pod, I believe, is playing uh, Dooku Maul. Again, glad I took Kenobi. Yeah, um, there you go. So. Uh, I, yeah, I too, I too am glad I took Maul because I have. There's a lot of like close range stuff also in my group, so. Yeah. And a couple and triple snaps. Glad I sat this one out. So. <laughs> <laughs> we all got something we're glad about. That's there good. you go. There you go. Yep. All right. Well, let's. Uh... So good luck to everybody playing Invader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, have fun. May the, may the best person with Kenobi in their army win. Uh, all right uh let's talk about this rg appendix thing um yeah that was released on friday so basically which time which time are you talking yeah so it was actually edited at least twice um after being released yeah it was a little bit of a first there was like a version of strategize that was different than what was on the reminder text and was like at least on Kalani basically didn't make a difference on like Kraken but on Kalani Mm. it was significantly worse Mm. because all the tokens went on one unit instead of like on two separate units Yep. Um, and it was completely different than the reminder text so they ended up fixing that within like 30 minutes of having it released and then there were a bunch of other like typos and random things Uh, yeah it seems odd from this perspective. I'll say like they seem for some reason in a weird rush to do stuff like and this goes along the same lines as that battle report thing that they did. I don't know if you want to call it an actual battle report, but whatever, whatever they did uh, a couple weeks ago, the skirmish game that they played, this felt very similar to that. Like, all right, we're just going to rush and throw this out and they did it and then there's a bunch of things that they didn't even think through or look at and it just i don't know it just with them with that mini stravaganza or something coming up in a couple weeks like why would you rush this out why wouldn't you just hold it for that and just put it all out at once because they have already said they're doing points and erratas or something at the mini stravaganza so why wouldn't you just do it all at the same time well i I think Yoda is currently out in like Oh Europe, yeah, over he is. There was a bunch of tournaments where he yeah. he really laid the smack down um from what I hear. Um yeah, I mean I don't know. Uh I I think I think that we definitely given that Yoda has hit shelves in stores and stuff like that, we definitely needed like RRG entries for his abilities and stuff like that. The thing that 
I don't get is that like <laughs> um, there's no way that like they haven't had this for like a year at this point, right? Like as far as like I, I don't know, like if units take two years to be developed and they're literally hitting shelves now, like all of these rules must have been in the pipe for a very long time. And did no one proofread this document before it got released? Because that's what it feels like to me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's good at least that it was changed quickly. Like, clearly it would have been better <laughs> if it was just right the first time. Yeah, um, totally. But at least there's a uh, feedback cycle, if you will, that was yeah. relatively fast. So, Yes, um, and it seems interesting that you know, it, they just put out the one page of new updates versus updating the whole RRG. That that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Love. Yeah, I think I, I'm this not is the a first fan time that. that we've gotten something like this, right? I don't think we've ever. Yeah, this is it's never happened like this. It's usually the RRG with the blue text. And I mean, at this point, because we haven't gotten a full RRG update with like all of the forum. like things that have been answered in the forums if you have a rules question about star wars legion you have to go to three separate places to see if there's an answer it's kind of like 40k (laughs) it's like yeah yeah except i wish i had a stack of books here you know like some of this stuff is not publicized somebody was telling me that you can't actually get to the appendix from the website i don't know if this is true I'm kind of spitting out my mouth right now. Um, oh, like you can only access it from the tweet link? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, uh, and, and yeah, I don't maybe. know if that's correct. I haven't actually tried it. I'm trying it like right now. Um, Star Wars Q&A. Yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't seem apparently obvious how to get to it uh, from their website. If you go to rules, it's all Marvel Crisis Protocol rules. Um there's no Star Wars rules section. The Star Wars Q&A on their website doesn't say anything. It just says, this is where the fun begins, and it's from November 17th, 2020. Yeah, um, so it's it's technically on their website. So the link goes to, what is it, slash SW-docs or something like that. But it's yeah. just like, it's a weird... Point being, you have to know it's there. In yeah, order it's a to strange get. way to yeah. do it. it um, so I'm sure they have they have eventually promised us a website like a real website <laughs> not that this is not a real website but it's a clearly this is an mcp website yeah um, i mean um i i i don't know what the holdup is with that i have to imagine it's licensing because frankly the website they've got is like like a squarespace site basically um which it, not it, that there's anything wrong not basically <laughs> not basically it is a squarespace site yeah so yeah, I'm I sure mean, that there's something with LFL that's there's there's got to be it's yeah. got to be a licensing issue or, or they're just not doing it I, I don't know it's one or the other um, you know what the you know what the, you know what the it uh, just real quick and then we can move on what it, it's kind of like so back when they it all seemed weird when they made the MCP announcement do you remember that at Gen Con and they did it during the Fantasy Flight preview oh, like, like the existence of MCP yeah and so like. What everything that they do, Atomic Mass Games, and everything that's happened, it's kind of feels like they were this startup shop 
that like had this idea for a game and then were just thrust into the limelight without without there being like any like infrastructure planning or anything done where on the contrary fantasy flight was a very large organization right that got bought up by asmodee but was a very large organization with all these checks and balances and listen they didn't do everything right but like you know they had a lot of a much better corporate structure it seemed and then atomic mass games just seems like more of a like like us like they just seem like a run and gun small shop right that's that's trying to do big boy things and just kind of missing every time they, they take a swing so I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that's sure. a little. That's, that's a little harsh, that's, Jay. That's a, that's a deep comparison there. Yeah. Um, you know, I I actually is it. I'm I'm willing to harsh? give. I'm not. I'm not sure that that's even that's a how many fair, strikes fair assessment. Of I mean, you get it's a swing and a miss. We've got three strikes, right? Someone's got to go out. I think someone sure. needs to. Yeah, be out. That's I mean, how at, it works. At some point, the they're still getting their feet under them. Excuse will stop working. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe. I, uh, <laughs> well, you can't. Well, clearly, it stopped working with me. I'm I'm over it now. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I, I think just, we're I, still in that grace period a little bit, personally. Um, I also think we're like the vast majority of things that <clears throat> the people that listen to this podcast and the people that are on this podcast care about are not like like there's a there's a large portion of people that hobby with this game and play this game that everything that's happened doesn't affect it all um and i think it's important to keep that in mind you know um just just from like uh they like they don't they're probably not even aware of what's happening um which is fine like that's how the world works um but yeah i don't know like we can probably leave it at that okay Let's leave it at that. Sounds All right. Good. Should we hit some new unit cards? Yeah, let's do it. Um, All right. Yeah. I want to make sure I look get these sure. right here. Let's get I yeah. Think... Make sure you get these right. Uh, Jay, let's. <laughs> I just want to have it pulled up in front of me. So. Jay, Jay's being his after dark self. Right <laughs> yeah. He's just like firing on all cylinders <laughs> we're like we're not gonna be that hard on amg today and just like pulling wrong. punches from, 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 from basement <laughs> all right <And> wrong we're <laughs> dog we're dog we're dog red dog red off math fluttercraft i think it's a silent g there um yeah i don't know i think the second d might be silent too who knows? yeah who knows uh Fluttercraft, the Fluttercraft, the Fluttercraft. Um, it's this basically is like a speeder. I mean, it's not like a speeder; it is a speeder. Um, but it's it's fifty five points. It's got a, a pilot upgrade. I think no, that's not a pilot upgrade. A gunner upgrade. Is that what that's called? Mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. forget what this one's called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a comms slot, and that's it. Uh, six health, three resilience, surges in both directions. Speed two. It is speeder two. So it gets a compulsory move and it can ignore height two terrain or lower reposition, which makes it super maneuverable. Um, it's got that same keyword slew as the T 47 of immune blast melee range one weapons. And it has cover two. So no armor or anything, but clearly it has cover. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, God's I mean, 
I mean, I think it makes sense. They're, they're calling it a repulsor vehicle, even though it's more of a helicopter. Craft? Yeah. Did you call more it a fluttercraft? More of a fluttercraft. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. It's like, it's like a giant. <laughs> it's like a giant dragonfly, Jay. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Hey, listen, it's all the Wookiee stuff seems really cool. You know, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. So, we talked a little bit about this on After Dark, um, just because uh, the timing of its release. Uh, you know, I think the crew or gunner upgrade that is on it is interesting. Um, we could talk about it, I guess, in a second, but um, no, let's talk about it because I think it's an important yeah, part of the package. Th- that's fair. All right, so the, the NASP gunner is range one to three, red, red, black, black, um, fixed rear. So yeah, uh, only shoots backwards. Um, impact one, pierce one, 25 points. Uh, it makes the Fluttercraft 80 points altogether. Um, and the, the Fluttercraft doesn't have, like, I mean, it's got a pistol, but you're never going to shoot it if you can fire the back gun. Um, and it's got reposition. So chances are you can probably, like, move reposition move reposition shoot something and since you surge to hit you can probably fire support it with you know red red black black pierce one and then fire support that which which on its face doesn't seem terrible um i think you're gonna lose your fluttercraft like 90 percent of the time mm-hmm. um after you do that well it depends because you can you know it depends on terrain you know, reposition helps a lot. Um, it does. Like, I think you could do some hit and r- legitimate hit and run stuff with this thing. Yeah. I also, I, I also think that it's more durable than people realize just because it's like cover two goes a long way when you're immune to blast. Um, and then it has six health with a surge. So it's not nothing. No, but it's still like, dies to a z6 you know i i don't know um i i it it seems very flimsy for what is essentially an armored vehicle i i do think the price point uh you know the what is the the bark is 60 if you take the um the twin laser gunner at 75 they're roughly the same points you know uh the bark hits harder by itself i think um so yeah i mean it depends like the, the pierce is good i think the bark probably is. hits harder into the white saves and this, totally. thing will, this thing will hit harder into red saves yeah um i think it's <clears throat> so if you look at like the droid speeder bikes or the empire speeder bikes like it's kind of missing something like it just feels like it's missing something whether it's firepower or whether it's you know the ability to like hide one of the minis around a corner so you can't get a full shot on it or you know uh agile or like there's you know there's just these things that the other speeders seem to have over it and so i i don't know it just feel like and then having it have a I mean, we don't know what the other the other one is, right? The, there's another gun that they teased on the Asmodee site, but we don't know what it is yet. Uh, but like the fixed rear kind of sucks. Like I don't know. It just eh, 
it, I, it seems like maybe there's something that it, where it's gonna work, but I don't I don't see it. Yeah, I do think that it's um, an easy trap. I think to kind of make get caught in to think of this as like a speeder. I don't think you're taking three of these. I think you're taking maybe one, and you're using it as. Yeah as a fire support platform with, with peers. Yeah. I just, be, this is not, uh, because, because you have to basically turn it around to shoot it, whatever it is. I think it does the like, hit you with three all at the end of the turn thing, a lot less good. Um, and I also think that it's harder because you're playing Republic to like get enough activations where getting enough speeders in your list is really going to, functionally matter um to the point where they're safe yeah the other thing that worries me is the resilience um that that's a tough keyword like and and you kind of deal with it on armored like bigger heavy vehicles uh and i guess the atrts as well like you deal with it because you know like what you'll be able to do before you you hit your resilience will make a lot of you know we'll we'll do a lot like you could probably get a few three four five shots off maybe three four uh with any of those other resilience vehicles but this one seems i mean and i understand what you're saying mike with the fire support but it just seems like i don't know seems dicey at best and it seems like it's going to be a tough unit to play i think overall yeah i I do it's going to be this is a finesse unit yeah. It suffers from not having the clone trooper keyword as most things that don't do. Um, I, th- I think that, you know, as a one of in like a clone trooper list, though, it might actually be an interesting tool. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, like I have, okay, if you want to build a fun list, like I like that you can build a majority Wookiee list, basically, right? You just need three core troopers and you can have the rest of your list be Wookiees if you want uh that's cool i, I don't know functionally yeah. though I, well, I do think go ahead yeah i mean to mike's point i think if you're using this thing in a competitive list i think there is a place for it um for the reasons that you guys have stated kind of already primarily but the interesting fire support but but i definitely think if you're using it with phase ones or phase twos specifically for that fire support and not with wookies as thematic as that is yeah I think the big question, at least of what we've seen so far, um, is is fire supporting the Fluttercraft that much better than fire supporting an arc strike team? Because fundamentally, they're kind of giving you very similar things in with the Pierce and the ability to not deny cover and things like that. Um, you'll probably get in a couple extra hits with the Fluttercraft because it's dicer. Clearly, it's got four dice as opposed to two. Um, but to me, to me, that's the question it's got to answer. And it's also 30 points more than the arc strike team. So it doesn't give your army free aims. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. It's better than arcs at bombing run. It definitely yeah, is. Yeah. I, Not I think, I, I think it's, it's, you know, uh, that could be really scary. I think any list that has bombing run in it and they can utilize it is, is uh, terrible terribly i mean awesomely. i think the other thing though too sure it has compulsory but it's still it's only a speed two that's still pretty I fast i don't know what the base size is but 
Uh, it looked pretty big from the pictures we've seen of it. Oh, the, yeah, maybe fast then. I sort of expect it to be about the airspeeder base, I would guess. Yeah, based some, on the pictures. somewhere around there. Because the airspeeder is really not that big of a model either. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, and then what else they leaked? Oh, hacked comms unit too. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> People were like flipping out about this card. I don't, I don't see like a context where you'd use this where you wouldn't just rather have a comms jammer. I, mean, I I mostly agree with that assessment. Like this is this is too unreliable to be used on a unit that's not going to be like consistently near enemy units that want to give that mm-hmm. want to receive orders. And if you've got a unit like that, you're talking about like a Tauntaun or you know uh, a bus, an A5 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the jammer is just like a better effect for the same cost. <laughs> I mean, I know. I'm a strong proponent of the jammer needs to go back to 15 points, um, <laughs> but that you know, I, probably something else entirely. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Like this feels like it's supposed to be almost like a counter to a comms jammer, and I guess it it could function like that. But I don't know. Five points is a lot to you know build for something that you might not even run into. Um, when you could just get like an uplink for a yeah. little bit more and have it be useful all the time. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm underwhelmed. Uh, so right. just whelmed then. I'm whelmed. One. Should we get the, <laughs> uh, the spider droid? The spider. All right. Droid. Speaking of things that are murderous, like bombing run. Yeah. <laughs> So we actually didn't we we did not get any weapons for this thing, so which um, seem important. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean this thing basically looks like an a- an ATRT, right? Mm-hmm. So you know an ATRT uh, is kind of defined by its weapons. Clearly, an ATRT does not have self destruct. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> uh, I just like just like looking at the base unit card, assuming that it has access to similar weapons. Uh, I'd take a dwarf spider droid over an ATRT 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> yeah, all right. So let's talk. ATRT also notable, not a very popular. I would also choice. like to comment that the ATRT with just a naked guy sitting on top of it has armored, but a metal spider droid has armor three. Just, just an interesting little. Armor tip. X was not a keyword when the ATRT was designed, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know. Um, <laughs> just a naked guy sitting on top of a machine fully you know armored. There's not hey, like he's, a shield he has, or something just to be there. clear he has clothes on <laughs> yeah <laughs> and those are those are like the rebel trooper special issue from duluth trading company so that's yeah. uh you know that's tough stuff mm-hmm, it's probably made of like fire hose material or something mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway <laughs> DSD one dwarf spider droid. Uh, not only is it a spider, it is a dwarf spider. Um, I never really understood why the whole dwarf thing. Because uh, it's well, smaller than the other one. <laughs> yeah, the, there's the ginormous one, right? That's yeah. like, it's sort of like a War of the World style, like spider droid. Yeah. Okay. All right. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's a thing, isn't it? Yeah, they for sure are. Um, I've seen them. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, 55 points. It has a slot uh, with a plus sign on it. 
that's a programmed yeah yeah you must equip a blank upgrade card i guess it programmed yeah you must you must equip a whatever that is upgrade card yeah so we have no idea what that does clearly that could make a difference with how this unit functions yeah um because there's no ai on this <laughs> unit card yeah um we uh there is a hard point upgrade and then a comms upgrade uh six health four resilience so exactly the same as an atrt uh, mm -hmm. Surge hit, uh, surge on defense, which is a little better than an ATRT. It has armor three instead of full armor. Um, otherwise, it's climbing vehicle and expert climber, which is the same as an RT. So, and then that programmed keyword you talked about. Um, melee is rainbow, red, black, white. Uh, and then it has a self destruct mechanism, which has a new icon next to it three red, last impact one. Um, and then the keyword on the front, on the top is self-destruct four. And it says, if you have at least four wound tokens, uh, perform your self-destruct attack. Uh, <laughs> there, there was some confusion about whether this was mandatory based on that reminder text. It seems pretty clear from the, uh, RRG text that it is not mandatory, that you do not have to blow yourself up once you reach four wound tokens. Um, I think that'd be a huge liability if you did. Like, I mean, I, I'm not sure, frankly. I I think it's like if you are on four wound tokens, um, you want to just like get in there and blow this up in the middle of their army. You do, but you might not be able to get very far because if you have four wound tokens, you have a damage token also probably. You absolutely have one. Yeah. Value. I mean, unless right. you strip it. Unless right? you strip it with a repair yeah. card. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, and then self destruct is a free action, right? So, yeah. you could technically move, move, boom, move, aim, boom. If you if you get two actions, you can move, move, and do it. Um, if, but it seems you, kind of unlikely that you would get two actions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just word to the wise if you're playing against a dwarf spider droid, if you shoot it, make sure you kill it. Yes. Yeah. Um, kill it kill it all at once kill it with <laughs> fire like yeah, as dead. much as possible you do not want to leave it on its threshold on the, the self-destruct threshold yeah that's how i treat normal spiders in real life too. <laughs> <laughs> just like kill it with fire and make sure it's dead because i know yep. it's going to come back and hunt me later yeah i mean spiders I, spiders are helpful jay that's yeah that is my one thing man spider i don't know i uh, they're the worst I just usually put them outside if I find them in my house. I leave them alone unless they get close to me and then mm. I kills them. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's crawling in your bed or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. murder it with extreme prejudice. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like there's like a legitimate situation where if you're just like running triple dwarf spider droid bombing run, you can like walk into your enemy's army and six red the whole thing in yeah. one turn. Yeah. Um. um I mean, it's kind of like a, and we know from the, the card description, we don't know what it does, but we know this thing has access to a flamethrower. Um, yep. So <laughs> it definitely could be a list concept to just have like triple flame spider droids. You just rush them at your opponent's face and it's like, hey, you want to shoot me? Yeah, I'll take some moon tokens. That sounds good. Here. Oh, look, there's four. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, you lose the unit, but you probably kill like half your opponent's army. Well, that's the thing, you know. Uh, yeah, this is this is a bombing run blast, and it's it's yeah. not 
a small small thing and it's it's worth noting that th- when it blows up it's really like range two uh as opposed i mean like because because you're measuring out from the base of this thing that is presumably on a base similar to the atrt right so it's like it's it's got a much wider detonation profile than a standard mine yep yeah and three red with blast is no joke yeah uh yeah <laughs> it's it'll be interesting to see how this plays out but um a full disclosure i bought three of these <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna i mean like assuming that the weapon options are anywhere close to good these kind of like i'm looking at droid is thinking why would i ever take these if these are on the menu i don't know um uh, i mean decas are still tougher probably because of the shields and because you can usually get them cover uh, sure <laughs> but they don't blow up so <laughs> they don't blow up yeah uh yeah i don't know the upside of going like hitting the self-destruct jackpot seems worth it yeah like it probably doesn't happen that often but when it happens it's you it's just gonna happen game. yeah pretty much I, mean, yeah. I don't know i mean that might be a little bit of an exaggeration but uh probably not far from the truth yeah i mean the fact that it's four that definitely is a little bit of a limiter because you know you're either going to have that thing where you can only do one action i forget the names of these because i don't play vehicles that often but damaged right um you're going to have the thing where you it takes two actions to do a move um honestly the best thing for the self-destruct would be if you get weapon destroyed because then you can still double move and do it um i guess you could pick the self-destruct mechanism as the weapon and then it would just be two dice instead of three but that's still like i mean if your intent is to blow it up at that point just just pick wicked kick right mm. no the attacker picks the weapon that they destroy. oh yeah. sure sure again i don't play vehicles either. yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah i don't know but even two red dice on your whole army with blasts is still real good yeah that's explosions basically yeah um all right, enough of that. Go. Um, cool. All right, main topic. That wasn't the main topic. No. Let's hit some tactics. <laughs> Get ready for advanced tactics. So we're going to talk today about. Uh, we're actually just going to we're going to hit some objective specific deployment strategies, and then <laughs> um, we might hit some other positioning type stuff in a future episode. So. Yeah. So um, let's talk. Go ahead. Well, um, yeah. I mean, how, how do, like how do you guys? We can walk through these objectives individually, one at a time. Um, you know, clearly this is kind of an abstract topic because there yeah. are so many variables here. But yeah, let's just talk through these. Yeah, when I was kind of like <laughs> figuring out what we wanted to talk about this week, I guess uh, I was thinking like. It's, it's really difficult to talk tactics on a podcast, talking about like real in-game situations because um, like it's always different, you know? Um, deployment is a little bit easier to talk about, I think, because generally, you know, it's it, clearly it's also always different because terrain and yada, yada, yada. But there is some like, good rules to live by when it comes to how you deploy for certain objectives. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, I just, uh, let's just run through, I guess, um, each of the objectives and how each of us approaches them. Um, I don't think we want to really, uh, at least in this section, talk about like uh, deployment breaking rules abilities, um, though we can mention some if, if it, we think it's extremely relevant. But uh, why don't we start with hostage exchange? Um, I think it's, it's an interesting it's probably a pretty it's a pretty simple one i think as far as deployment strategy is concerned um clearly clearly you deploy so my my take on this is you pretty much always move your hostage the enemy hostage unit as close to your army as you possibly can um when you set up right and then you pretty much have to deploy as close to it with your army as possible for the most part Yeah, I mean, there's there's one caveat with all of these, which is that you don't generally want to give your opponent free shots if you can help it. Yes. But especially for something like hostage, which has a chance to be very fast moving very quickly, you also don't want your guys to be like too far away from the action. So, yeah, you have to balance that a little bit. I Ideally, there's like a line of sight blocker somewhere like right on the edge of your deployment that you can kind of put most of your dudes behind, still close to the enemy hostage, but not in a position where they're just going to get blasted on the first turn if your opponent has like long-range weapons or something like that. Um, one little trick when you're deploying your opponent's hostage is you have to kind of remember that like they can shoot you. <laughs> so I usually drop, if that if that unit has a heavy weapon in it, I usually drop the heavy weapon like behind a line of sight blocker where he can't see any of my units, even if the rest of the unit can, just so that they can't like immediately take an effective shot mm. on your army. Like clearly they could still move and then do it, but um, that's potentially less effective than just, you know, being in the middle of your army and shooting something. It's especially true if it's a unit like V2s that have a strong close range attack or something like that. So sounds like somebody's talking from experience. <laughs> yeah um i mean i play hostage a lot and i run b2s with ha specifically for that purpose so yes i have plastered a unit on for on turn one with <laughs> my b2 hostage unit knowing that i also run maul and that he will be able to catch my opponent's hostage unit so um yeah yeah what's your view on characters for ho the hostage unit what do you mean like a character to to get the hostage versus like giving it to a core unit or something. Well, you're obligated to give it to a core unit at the start of the oh, that's game. Right. That's yeah, that's right. Um, Forgot about that. But clearly, like a resilient character is a good candidate to pick it up if you ever lose it. Yeah. I mean, that's why one primary reason why force users are so good at hostage exchange is because they're durable and they have lots of abilities that can move units. So. Yeah, I don't think hostage is like super complicated as far as kind of how to set up for it. It's immediately going to devolve into a bit of slugfest cluster, yeah. right? Like that's just kind of how it goes. Um, or or one person runs away with the game. It, it's kind of one of the two. Yeah. Um, I think we can kind of hit these deployment keywords as we're walking through these objectives. Sure. Yeah. Um, for hostage with infiltrate specifically. You have to kind of keep in mind that your opponent's hostage is going to 
zone a significant portion of the area that you would normally be infiltrating in. I find myself often just like deploying infiltrators in my deployment zone on hostage exchange. Infiltrate's basically worthless. I mean, maybe not totally, but it's pretty close to worthless with on hostage exchange. Um, if you're running hostage exchange in your deck, you probably um, shouldn't be counting on infiltrating, um, at least when you're playing hostage exchange. So right. keep keep that in mind. Um, you know, it's also worth noting hostage exchange is very low scoring. So units like R2 and Padme um, and people with bounty greatly change how the game is played um yep. secret mission maybe more so than the other two just because uh the the main kerfuffle is happening in the middle of the battlefield generally because yep. that's that's where the hostages are set up and generally you know r2 or padme is like skirting around the edges of the battlefield to to score a secret mission so all of a sudden and you're going to find that with most of these objective deployments is that those units kind of break up the battle um and enforce two focal points as opposed to one. Um, but you, you definitely have to be cognizant of when you're deploying, you know, if, if they've got R2 or are infiltrating with Padme and they, you know, um, the Padme infiltrate specifically on hostage exchange can be uh, deadly if not, not accounted for. Yeah, because especially if you're on battle lines or something, she can just drop like. <laughs> right in your opponent's deployment zone and then yeah I've, I've done that before yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's very 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 fun for whoever's doing it not so much yep. for whoever's not <laughs> what <laughs> you don't say <laughs> yeah and you can't talk about hostage exchange without talking about scouting party because it does work on the hostage where you get basically an extra move before the game starts um yeah um i think you've got to be careful um with it um just because it generally puts rex in a very exposed position um so be cognizant of that if your opponent has scouting party also be aware that their the hostage you place may not end up where you think it's going to end up yep yeah you should pro like you should probably just try and avoid playing hostage against rex unless you also have a list that's excellent at hostage one with like a, a force user in it probably um, it's also important to mention specifically when you're dealing with that situation and when you're also zoning out your opponent for infiltrate with, with your hostage unit, right? Um, or whether, I mean, I guess you're deploying their unit. So if you do have units with infiltrate or if they have scouting party, how you cohere their unit when you move them is very important if they have scouting party you want to cohere all of their models towards you so they can't catch it's harder they've got to catch the unit leader specifically with rex's range two level if you cohere everything towards you yeah 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 that's just a generally good and anytime you like drop your opponent's unit on the table unless you have a specific plan for their cohered minis it's usually just always a good practice to get in the habit of cohering them towards you yeah easier to shoot because they're I mean, like, clearly you can't shoot this unit in, on, on turn one, but, right. um, you know, if you this is a good thing if you're force pushing and not ending up in melee with a unit, cohere your models, their models towards your guys so that you can shoot them and they can't shoot you, X, Y, Z. Um, Vader's might. Yep. Uh, there's a, probably a couple other. There's a million. Yeah, scatter. Uh, um, yep. All right, let's hit uh, bombing run.
All right. Fast things, good. Fast things are good on bombing run. That's accurate. <laughs> it's, it's. I think the the biggest thing about bombing run to me is that um, you need so a couple things. First, if you if your opponent has fast units, you need to be cognizant of the fact that you don't want to take a bomb to the face on your units that's also scoring. It's very important if you take a bomb to the face, like the dwarf spider we were just talking about, yeah. the game's probably over. Um, so if your plan is not to move quickly out of your deployment zone, you maybe want to spread out a little bit. Would be suggestion number one. Suggestion number two is um, drop the units that you think you're going to be carrying your bombs last. Yep. That's, that's pretty, I think, fundamentally important. Um, specifically if you're the like aggressor bombing run was in your battle deck you want to like drop your spear bikes or your snaps last so that your opponent doesn't have as much uh, response time to your objective bearing units and make sure that you leave physical space for the bombs to go um, I've... I know there's actually two I, considerations yeah, yeah, yeah. here I've seen it happen where like I mean, clearly you you end up being able to put them somewhere, but this happens more often with the trooper units than with bikes and stuff like that. Um, but they'll like drop the trooper unit down, intend to put a bomb on them, and then surround them with other trooper units over the course of deployment. And then there's like they can't put the bomb in base to base with the unit leader. Um, the other thing is on advanced positions. Yeah, super important. Yeah, yeah. The bomb has to go on a unit that is within your deployment zone. Uh, totally completely within completely within within means entirely within um so make sure that you leave at least three units completely within your deployment zone on advanced positions do not just scout your whole army forward or you won't be able to put any bombs on the table <laughs> so yeah please keep that in mind that is a mistake that you will only make once that works with but, rollout uh, too right yes yeah, yeah like it happens less because most people have like a bunch of infantry that are stuck in the deployment zone but but yeah yeah but right but for you someone can... from a ha- you know use it wanted to use their heavy as a and then it went roll out and i was like i'm good to deploy- yeah, yeah i'm gonna deploy but, it out here yeah totally. yeah um, don't forget that yeah and that's a consideration when you're building your battle deck too is like if i'm if if, if the goal of my list is to force bombing run do I want rollout? It like is rollout actually good for me? Um, which I think is an interesting question sometimes. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I guess it depends. It depends on what else is in your list. Probably so. good on every other objective. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think if you're not running R two, it almost doesn't matter what your list is. You should probably have rollout in your deck. That yeah, that's fair. Um. I mean, we've kind of talked about this in the past, but generally, I think if you're not running R2, your deck should just be the shortage to shortage deployments, plus maybe hemmed in if you want to swap that in for advanced positions. But like every list that I make that doesn't have R2 in it has rollout, long march, major offensive, and hemmed in in it. You just let that little droid scare you so hard, Kyle. He's crafty. You're scared of a trash can. It's a victory point trash can, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> you just um, kill him. That's that's 
easier when you have fast units than when you play a trooper focused list that has to be close to itself like i tend to no doubt no you doubt. can't just like send send a b1 off into the sunset to go chase after r2 that's <laughs> not usually beneficial sure. for their existence um especially because the good r2ists usually have their own fast units that can kind of like respond to things that you send after r2 and then kill those things so yeah um anyway this is not a a uh, section about r2 <laughs> Good tell. The, the, the classic kyle this is not what we're talking about yeah. today's speech i mean um, it, it kind of is what we're talking about because r2 yeah. is his own objective right yeah so yeah. i guess we can we can get to him at the end here but do, let's do, you, the other. do you see how i've put him into is, the objective yes. specific he's got his own section he does you're right <laughs> That's why I said this is not the section for R2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, okay. All right. This is not the show for R2. Uh, breakthrough. So I, I think that there are a lot of different ways to play a breakthrough. I personally play breakthrough. Uh, breakthrough tends to be a little bit of ships passing in the night, toilet bowl kind of situation for me more often than not. Um, I think with the meta shifting, that may change a bit. So I think this how you deploy for this objective um, might become a little bit more fluid, but I tend to try and mirror my opponent in breakthrough um, and then kind of circle around each other and shave a unit off if I can, or any a number of units equal to the amount of units I need to win by um, while we're circling. Um, and I don't really know what more to say about that. It, this one, I think more so than most of the objectives on this list, is very dependent on terrain and what's in your opponent's army. Yeah, yeah. I would say yours too, you know, because one of my tactics on this one from a double heavy standpoint is if I have blue, I just sit there and I go, okay, go ahead. Try to break through. <laughs> I just, you know, and I just depending on the deployment too, you know, long march, that's a really nice one for long march, but like yeah, yeah, come on. Go ahead. I got I got two ATSTs or I got an ATST and a tank. Like, sure, figure it out. You know, and then at the very last minute, ram the tank down their their breakthrough with something in it while the ATSD's murdering things as it's running towards mine. You know. So I think there's like my, you know, those are two different tactics with, with breakthrough that it just depends on your list and the layout. And it's a lot, a lot to that one, but I mean, it's really kind of two things that you, but you guys both hit on. The first thing I do with breakthrough always is count activations. Because if your opponent has more activations than you, you need to kill something. Because if you just toilet bowl, you're going to lose. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, so if your opponent has more activations than you, you need to either play like a defensive, pure defensive breakthrough, which usually only works on the short edge to short edge deployments, or you need to basically make a plan to just like crash into your opponent's army and have a slugfest. Yeah. Yeah. I I personally do not like the, I've been bitten many times by the, I'm going to hold the line and hope they can't get through strategy on breakthrough. You're taking a risk with that for sure. Um, Just because what ends up happening inevitably some amount of the time, not always is that, your opponent gets a unit that can possibly score and you end up with nothing that can even threaten 
mm. a, a a scoring unit sometimes. And I'm not saying again, not saying that happens every time. Um, but all of a sudden you're not in a position to you're in a position to not lose as opposed, as opposed to win. Um, yeah, which is always never really a place you want to be. But if if you're confident in that play style, it can work. Um, you just you got to know what you're doing, and you have to have the right list for it. Yeah, I think in, that's usually I've done that, um, but it's usually like a plan B, like a my opponent's list is better at breakthrough than mine is, and if I try and run across the table into his deployment zone, either he's going to just toilet bowl around me because he has spears and more activations or he's going to flank me or something and kill all my dudes anyway. So my best bet is to sit here and, you know, defend the end zone. And it's, you know, clearly I would just rather have a list that's better at breakthrough. Um, but usually situations that end up doing that are, are a situation that, you know, it got ended up in the third slot or something and I didn't want to play it anyway, but it's kind of like a making, making the best of a bad situation kind of thing. Okay. Otherwise, um, yeah, you should usually tr plan on trying to have a unit score. Yeah. It's also worth noting the units that have uh, deployment breaking abilities are particularly good, can be particularly good on breakthrough infiltrate, particularly on something like advanced positions or, you know, um, a, a weird hemmed in situation um, can really kind of stick it to your opponent, and uh, you got to be you got to be cognizant of that. Um, you know, if if you're playing blue and you're playing breakthrough, and you also have an infiltrating unit, if you hold it till last, chances are you can kind of stick it in whatever deployment zone they didn't deploy in, and kind of be winning at the start of the game for free. Um, so, yeah, hemmed in is like. If you're ever in a situation where you're blue on hemmed in and you're playing breakthrough, <laughs> something went weird in that video phase. Yeah. Because, you know, there's basically like blue starts all in one spot and red has to either pick a side or they have to deploy some units in one and some in the other. Yeah. And if they split, you kind of just like crash into their weaker side with your big force and then you win because you have more activations at that point, probably. I, and I do think that speaks to kind of one of the traps of breakthrough is that I see a lot of people be like, I'm going to like split my forces and go, go around them in two different directions. And what you're really doing is giving your opponent the option to just crush half your army and then move through it into your, into the breakthrough zone. Um, which is why specifically I was talking about the toilet bowl scenario. You want to keep your army together and break yep. through the majority of the time, because otherwise you end up in a situation where you just get picked apart piecemeal. Um, yeah. Yep. Definitely. All right. Sabotage. Oh, our favorite. favorite. I love sabotage. I say yeah. that completely unironically. You definitely want blue player with this one. Well, sure. But let's, so let's talk about this. <laughs> let's, well, sure. Your, your, the strategies for blue and red are, are fairly different on this one. So why don't we split yep. this one up? I also think that this is depending on who you are and how you play this objective. This objective is really two different objectives um, to some degree. Uh, and sometimes you can flex between the two in a given right. game. Yep. Um, yeah. So if you're blue on sabotage, really, whether you're red or blue, um, regardless, you have to make the assessment of whether you're going to actually try and 
tap your opponent's vaps or whether you're just going to play for points. Now, if you're blue, it's it's much easier to do the latter because you win points ties. Which means that if, you know, each player's respective two vaps are in positions where they can relatively safely be fully tapped, then you start the game winning because the score starts at 0-0 for points and blue wins if nothing happens, basically. <laughs> but it's possible that as blue, you might sort of make the assessment that your opponent is going to be able to get to one of your VAPs or they're going to be able to snipe a unit or something based on how your lists match up, based on how the terrain is. Maybe you didn't have like a super safe spot for one of your evaporators. Mm-hmm. And then if that's the case and you have to actually like attack their army, then that has different deployment considerations. Yep. Like I've definitely had games. I played a, an FD cannon in what season four of invader league and uh yeah there were definitely some games on vaps where i'm like you know my opponent has an atst or my opponent has death troopers and like if they want to kill this fd cannon they're gonna be able to kill this fd cannon so even though i'm blue player like i really need to just take i also had jedi luke in that list i really just need to figure out which of my opponent's vaps jedi luke is gonna go own and do that (laughs) yeah yeah, I, 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 yeah, I guess with, with this one and what I meant when I said you really want to be blue player is as blue player, you have more choices okay. and you get to dictate the choices and say, okay, this is what's, what I'm going to do. Whereas red player, it's more of, okay, I got to see what blue is going to do and then act accordingly and then try to hopefully outsmart them or out kill or you know what i mean there's there's some other considerations there where you're not fully in control i guess that's all blue i guess that's blue player with all things but this one in particular yeah i do think like you kind of with with evaporators i I think it's important that you do need to understand and this is kind of why we're talking we're talking about deployment specifically right and when you're deploying the evaporators is part of that you should always be trying to pick safe positions for your evaporators, but you also need to be assessing when you're placing your evaporators, if you're going to be playing an aggressive game or if you're going to be playing that defensive game. And if you're playing yeah. an aggressive game, I personally uh, end up red on evaporators a lot. Uh, that's a thing that just, you know, I also, it's, it's a space that I feel comfortable with. And I tend to um, deploy at least one of my evaporators kind of, towards my opponent so that I don't have to split as many units off to tap my VAPs um, because generally the blue player most of the time on VAPs will set up their evaporators in a safe place and try and t- bunker down right yep. that's kind of the game plan if you're playing VAPs the way you want to be playing it and if you're it's in your deck generally that's how you want to play it and so because they're doing that I, I try to kind of like make it so that I don't have two let because if if as red player you you put two evaporators like off in you know random you know corner of the board that's not anywhere close to blue player what ends up happening is your two activations down in the gunfight and that mm-hmm. can be a problem mm-hmm. um, particularly it, this is less of an issue if you have activations that don't do anything like naked rebel troopers um, but it, if you're playing like a clone army you want everybody where they can help 
And so yeah. I tend to be a little bit more aggressive with my evaporator placement. Um, Infiltrate's also very good on evaporators. It allows you to kind of set up cross shots that maybe wouldn't uh, be as open. Um, and, and I also think my personal favorite is you always want a unit as, as red player in position and this starts in deployment where they can threaten a unit that's on the evaporator turn one or turn two. Um, and, and they can kill something on the evaporator. Make it, make it so that they have to risk a unit to tap the back. Yeah, and that goes for blue player too, if you can set it up. Yeah. Um, even though as blue player you're not like obligated to kill anything, unless your opponent does it's still sort of a good idea to look for those opportunities anyway and if your opponent has a vap that's in a not safe spot then that's a that's a good opportunity to try and do that so that's what i got um oh, again all things being equal r2d2 changes the calculus here yeah. dramatically um although i think less so than you would think because this is kind of like a, I'm bunkering down in my deployment zone war, um, it tends to be so sometimes pretty difficult to score with R2 on VAPs. Yeah, and if you're running VAPs in your deck, you're probably also running the deployments that are bad for R2. Yeah. Because you're playing VAPs as a defensive objective if you're running it in your deck most of the time. So, And if that's the case, you're probably running an army that has short-edge short deployments. All right, should we hit intercept? Yep. Yeah, let's do it. I, my favorite thing to recommend with intercept is don't go for the turn two. <laughs> one, of, one of the first lessons you play in Star Wars Legion. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah, turn two is a trap. <laughs> I mean, unless and, your opponent gives it to you for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and here, so uh, there's two different kind of time if you're in a timed tournament it's a much different objective than if you're like not uh, and the and reason i'm saying this because generally when you're in a timed tournament fifth round is usually what you're going to make it to and so that scoring round is the round after four right and so so really fighting for that final push for fourth and fifth round is where you want to be at because that's when you're going to be scoring i think that changes a little bit if you know you're going to play six rounds like if it, you know if the speed has been good or or if it's not a timed game but yeah i mean you really want the fourth fifth round push that's that's where you're that's what you're looking at no matter what color Yeah, I think that I think the ball intercept can be played in a variety of ways. And this is, a, I guess, maybe a little bit of a dynamic one. Generally, what ends up happening is either both players send like one unit to hold the back intercept points and the armies kind of slug it out over the middle. Depends on the deployment zone, how that goes down. Um, or both armies are sitting on the their home intercepts and are fighting over the middle. Um, and I think in the situation where the home intercept points are being held by, like, and you're figuring this out in deployment by like a strike team, 
um, there's room for like you to deploy an infiltrate unit to threaten their intercept point or a staff unit or whatever. Um, and you need to be kind of cognizant of, of that in deployment as that's happening and how you're going to play it. If, if you're going to let their home intercept point kind of be home free, you need to decide it during deployment. I think that's the primary. I mean, the other thing is intercept is kind of kill points for like the first three to four turns. So you do have to be careful that you're not exposing units unnecessarily in your deployment. Yeah, I find a lot of time, I mean, high, high, high level is different, but I find in most tournaments that you're going to go to and play, um, a lot of people are going to misplay the two, three round. And so you, if you just wait for four and you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to score on four. That's, that's what I'm going to focus on that. You can put yourself in a really good position to take out a number of their units while you're pushing up for round four scoring. And I mean, that's, that's, I know that's an overgeneralization, but that's been most of my experience with it in tournaments. Yeah, in that situation, you want to make sure that if your opponent tries to score on turn two, they're putting something out of position to do it. Yeah. If your yeah, opponent yeah. can sort of just t safely like consolidate on the middle in a way that is like strong, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but if you have a situation like Mike described, where you where you have both armies kind of sitting opposite each other with the middle intercept point in between them, and they're kind of taking like pot shots at each other. That's going to be a situation where either of you probably has to expose a unit to actually score the middle intercept point. And you don't generally want to do that early if you can avoid it. Yeah. Uh, it's actually super common in like high level intercept games for nobody to score in rounds two or four, the center point. Yeah. That's not uh, remotely uncommon. Yeah. Cause it's not really important if you're, you know, scoring the back end points. Um, and it, the the middle of the board in intercept generally ends up being a no man's land unless somebody something's gone kind of wrong um so and clearly terrain is a big consideration there sometimes you have like a line of sight blocker that's close enough to that middle intercept point where you can like park a dude behind it to score safely and if that's the case if you have like an infiltrator or force user or something that can get there easily then you're gonna have a leg up in that situation and you're gonna be forcing your opponent to dislodge you by flanking the middle which then puts other things out of position. But generally, it's kind of like a World War One style, you know, who's going to be the first person to charge into no man's land kind of situation. It, it's very much like you're playing chicken with your opponent. You're like, you're, you're going to blink first. I'm going to blink first. You know, who yep. talks first? You talk who first. Talks, I talk yeah, first. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. All right, KP. So I think this is probably the objective where deployment matters the least um just because the objective doesn't really matter until turn six um uh, it, and i think the majority of deployment is uh kind of negotiating positions to get to whatever the middle point is eventually um generally your home kp is pretty safe unless you have like really not great terrain um, or there's an R2-D2 on the other side of the board, and that needs to be in your calculus because he screws up this mission pretty badly. Um, and 
you need to you need to it this is this is the objective where you need to counter deploy r you should always try and counter deploy r2 but this objective you need to counter r2 like like it's your job yep because this one is you know usually two to one so yeah. if your opponent has r2 that can be two to two pretty quickly which yeah. could be a problem if you're a red player so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, KP is basically like a war of attrition for the first five turns, I, four, I four will, turns. I will say, I know it doesn't come up a lot, but this definitely came up uh, when I was playing my Highlander list. Uh, I had Bosk, so I had Bounty. So actually, my second game, uh, I ended up getting within one victory point because I bountied Rex, and I ended up getting him. Uh, and so, so, you know, any, any type of VP in addition, uh, you definitely got to look out for. 100%. Yep. All right. Speaking of recover, what's it recover? I know that was a flawless transition. Uh, recover <laughs> recover is, the supplies. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so I think on its face, recover plays a lot like intercept unless there are specialty units involved and what i mean by that is um oftentimes you're both kind of sitting on your home boxes and somebody needs either you're kind of like shooting each other across the middle box now if your opponent has a unit with infiltrate or can like dive on the box and like pick it up and run away you know very quickly or has some sort of tricky shenanigans that changes pretty dramatically. But I think as far as deployment goes in a standard game of recover, and you're probably not playing recover unless one of those units is involved. In yeah. Fairness. I was going to say, I, uh, I, I was going through I this and I'm would. like, I'm like, yeah, eh, yeah okay. <laughs> I, I still sometimes live in a world where we're playing with like uh, five objective parts. Sometimes my mind like just like automatically filters back to that. But if recover mm -hmm. is in your deck now, you have you know a set of Mandalorians or something. So um, basically, you need to set up to be able to shoot something on the box and hunt it down turn one, pretty much immediately. Yep. Yeah, because either you're the person with the jump slash infiltrate slash force user unit, or you're the person that doesn't have that. Or it could be a mirror, and both players have something like that. But yeah. generally speaking, it depends how, a lot on terrain. Like if there's a line of sight blocker near the middle, and the person with the infiltrator slash force user can just kind of put them there and, like, at their leisure, grab the middle box, then that changes things because then you need to flank that line of sight blocker. But more commonly, there's a little bit of like an open space around that middle area, and your opponent's going to have, even if it's a specialty unit like that they're still going to kind of have to put something at risk to go grab it and you need to be ready when that happens to clap them with a big shot or melee units or something you know it depends a lot on what your list is i think um as far as objectives go timing and be setting yourself up for like the precise strike is insanely important on recover. It's more important than on, a, on any other objective. The window that you're going to get if your opponent is playing correctly, it's going to be very, very narrow. There's an alternative way to play this too, where depending on what your deployment is, you can kind of 
set up your boxes, your quote unquote safe boxes close to their safe boxes, and then just kind of play in that area. Um, I would do this a lot with Palpatine, actually, especially on like battle lines or disarray. You know, my opponent would put a box and then I would put a box across from it. <laughs> and then my opponent would put their second box and I would put their se my second box across from it. And I'd be like, all right, I got Palpatine. Let's play on a three by three, you know? <laughs> I do um, feel like that's less common now. It is less common now because if, you know, if you're running a list where that's like a good idea, most of those lists don't have R2 in them, which means you probably don't have battle lines in your list. Man, R2 is really bad for uh, deck building variety. <laughs> sorry, tangent. Um, <laughs> Kyle, I'm sorry. We This is not the time to talk about R2. I know, We're you're gonna... right. <laughs> we can gripe about how much R2 restricts uh, the list building phase <laughs> on another podcast. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think... I think if your opponent has one of those specialty units and you don't have the ability to do a lot of damage very quickly, like you don't have fire support or something like that, then you can give that strategy a shot where you're trying to grab one of their quote-unquote safe rear boxes. But yeah, generally this is a play for the center box. I find, I find shenanigans are good with Recover the Supply. They seem to always do pretty well. I remember I, I used to run a double a Vader double bounty list and you could uh, you, you could do um, oh gosh what the name just dropped out of my head oh new ways to motivate both Boba and Bosk so you could get basically get three moves with Boba on the first turn so he could move in grab the box and move and then move out like speed three so you know I think that's always something to think about if you're putting recover in is just make sure you have a way to something the tricky up your sleeve to, to get that box. Yeah, I mean, recover is really the only objective where you can kind of take like the primary thing that both players are focused on and just run away with it. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what the objective is. You know, technically you can kind of do that with bombing run, but on bombing run, you need to deliver the bombs to your opponent's deployment zone. So it's not quite the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, recover often turns into like a slugfest over that center box very quickly. And if your opponent, if you're an opponent's in a better position to grab it, you need to have all your units positioned to like immediately chase that unit as aggressively and violently as possible. I do, I do think um, this is a good habit to be in um, generally, but having your snipers set up. Um, around line of sight blockers so that you can scope unit leaders is very helpful. Like having them in a position where they can abuse corners so that you can kind of like move them to a precise place to specifically get like pick one model out of a squad. Um, when you're, when you're in deployment, you need to be cognizant of that because that can really like shift a recover game. Um, that's one of the things that really can tilt it on its head. And if you can, uh, if you're going to find a good place to deploy your snipers to abuse that, th that's the objective that it's the most important of. Yep. Yeah, and if you are if you have a box and you have to move in such a way where that box is going to be like in view of a unit that can do that, make sure you just plop like a non-unit leader model out there further, further out than your unit leader so that he doesn't get scoped and drop the box. All right, payload. I hate this one. 
Lob your army. Move it with the payload. Uh, yeah, I mean, this one does not seem very interesting to me. Oh, it's so interesting, though. I mean, I think it's interesting to play. I don't think the deployment is super interesting. I think it's one of the few ones that where, depending on the terrain, you could potentially make it so your opponent can't do it. Can't could never get it to to the end point. Yeah, so it's actually even before we talk about deploying units, deploying your payload, you, you basically just want to put it as close to the middle as possible, wherever yeah. that is. Like the the part of your deployment zone that's closest to the center of the table, that's where you want your payload. So most I of the think time. I think on disarray, you, there are situations where you can't actually score this objective, and also hemmed in if you're red. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it might just be too far. <laughs> like you could yeah, move like, it six times and still not get there. Yeah. On certain deployments. So be mindful of that when you're dropping your payload. You don't want to kind of like, um, you know, score an own goal by putting your payload too far away from the center and then having your opponent just pick a terrain piece that's far. <laughs> um, Which so. they're going to do, just to be clear. Yeah. And when you're picking your opponent's terrain piece, make sure you like you got to think about the the route clearly that your opponent has to take. And ideally, you want that route to be through as much of an you know an area of the table that you can control as possible. But you should also just measure the straight distance. Yeah. Um, because often there's something that's like significantly farther away and looks like it may be an easier route, but maybe your opponent has to move the payload one or two more times to get close enough to it. And it might be still a better choice. So, payload can kind of toilet bowl sometimes, like breakthrough can, totally. depending on where those objectives and stuff are. Um, and if that's the case, you know, whereas breakthrough, you're measuring activations with payload, you're measuring distance. Like if you can get your payload closer to your objective than your opponent, and you're in a situation like where you could have two ships passing in the night, then that's okay with you. But if, you know, if you're not, then you want to kind of just have the payloads crash into each other. So, and don't forget the payload itself provides heavy cover when you're deploying. It does. It also can displace your units, I believe, right? It yes, it can displace units. Um, but, so make sure you stay out of its way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where I mean, not, not that that's likely to happen in deployment, but just be cognizant when you're like moving your units out of your initial deployment that you are not doing it in a way where you're taking suppression tokens and yeah. um, your opponents moving your units, because that's bad. Yep. Real bad. All right. Should we, hit, should we hit the R2D2 objective? Sure. This is really like eight objectives, because R2D2 is, is the, de the deployment deck, basically. But... All right. Um, I mean, right? yeah, I, I think your game plan here should just be to counter deploy R2 if you're playing against R2. Just kill him as fast as possible. That's what I do. I actually don't hate playing against R2. I know a lot of people are like, oh my god, R2D2, he's terrible. He makes my life miserable. Um, I think you just have to counter to play him early and shoot him quickly. 
I know sometimes that's not possible to like, but you need to put yourself in a position during deployment to be able to do that. Yeah. So that is not always possible, as you noted. The times where that's usually more difficult is like if you have a if you have a army, and this is a lot of droid and clone armies, where you kind of have to be in one spot. Yeah. Um, if you end up with a long edge to long edge deployment like Battle Lines or Disarray, or if you're like hemmed in as red player, there might be a situation where you kind of just have to like concede that R2 is going to score. And it might actually be easier to just win on the primary objective and just ignore R2 than having mm -hmm. a unit or two off in the middle of nowhere chasing R2 down for the whole game and not contributing to the main fight. That's especially yeah. true if your opponent's list has a bunch of aggressive units in it, like Wookiees or, you know, AA5s or Tauntauns um, or something like that. Because every unit that you pull away from the main fight is like another unit that you're not going to be able to respond to that with. So you definitely have to think about that too. That's like fair. Uh, I definitely generally use take that clankers to just snap R2 off. Uh, <laughs> just to like range six them as, you know, as fast as possible. Not everybody has that card, Mike. I, I agree. I agree. I just <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just, you know, um, I, I think you just need to go after them fast and hard. And, and sometimes that you're right. There are situations where it is better to just ignore them. I, I I don't think that's super often though. Yeah. I don't know how You're much. You're not I, putting I, up much of fight here. I mean, my counter to R2 is to bid and put lots shortage to shortage deployments in my deck. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I I typically don't play lists with speeders in them or something else that can efficiently hunt down R2. So. Yeah, I mean, I also put shortage deployments in my deck, so like yeah. I generally, so I, I'm with you on that. Um, often the R2 game is decided before it even starts, really. Um, but I, I do think that like you should still try and snap them off as early as possible. Your, your opponent's gonna have to put him in a vulnerable position. He's slow. He's really slow. He is. Um, it and it's sometimes you can kill them with like I've had success killing R2 with just the last first with a sniper. Yeah. Um, um, you have to be intentional about it if you do that. Um, you know, my, my last game at LSO, I made that plan and then I didn't like execute it in a way that was intentional. Um, nope. And it would have worked if I did. Yep. <laughs> so, yes, it would have. Um, I think you got a repair off in between, right? Right, because I, I was, I did not leave the, uh, uh, I, I didn't like, I didn't, at some point I lost my second model on a, basically I exposed them on an unnecessary shot and I lost my second model. So I wasn't able to cohere them back towards my commander to be within range three, because then I would have been able to play ambush, give an order to them. You know, R2 was on two wounds, immediately shoot with my VX droid with a name token for lethal and then probably kill R2, but I couldn't give them an order. He pulled R2, he repaired, and then I couldn't kill him. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, that can work too. If you can, if you can do like a, you know, a last first with a long range unit, even if you don't have a lot of dice to work with, you know, he's only got four health. So, yeah, I think my biggest advice is you can't, 
you can't like really hedge. You've got to you've got to commit to killing. You it. have to commit to it. Like yeah. if because if if you don't commit and you like sort of try and halvesies it, and it goes badly, you just like have done a significant amount of damage to yourself. Um, right, because you probably you probably have a unit somewhere out of position. You know that's not contributing. That unit might even get picked off by the fast units that are probably in R2's list. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, got to commit. Early and often. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? I don't think so. I hope people found this useful. Um, yeah. You know, as far as uh, kind of getting started and I, I think the beginning of the game is generally the most important, making good decisions the earlier you make good decisions, the more those repercussions from those decisions will be good or be bad, right? Yeah. So if you can make good decisions earlier, you will reap more benefits over the course of the game. That clearly starts in list building, so everybody should just play Rexstar. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm joking, mostly. Uh, I'm not playing Rexstar at the moment, so uh, <laughs> it's just for what it's worth. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, to that, though, um, for maybe if you're newer and you're listening to us, like, I would say this game is pretty forgiving as well. So, like, even if you do miss some of those, like, early good decisions that Mike's, there's still opportunity for you to kind of fix them along the way. You know, maybe maybe not the whole game, but there's still some opportunities, you know, through round three and four where you could you could probably fix what you've done yeah i think it depends on who you're playing against um yeah. for sure right like i feel pretty confidently that if i miss play against kyle i'm gonna have a bad day <laughs> um and uh i i would hope that he feels likewise but uh like you know it just uh yeah i think i think if you're uh, the level of play that you're at it is very variable when it comes to that because a misdeployed unit turn one can yeah uh, the, the amount of people that i've like take that clanker is on turn one or done whatever else that's you in know my toolbox and and like just deleted a unit before it ever got to go um sure strike does that too but you i know, would there's... say more often a lot of times though like i've caught people like they've misdeployed a unit i'm like oh yeah here we go this guy's dead and then the dice are just like nah it isn't <laughs> you know, like it's the that happens a lot too where it's like i could roll nine hits and then un un uh covered clones just roll all nine blocks and you're just like yeah all right well <laughs> that, that what jay's trying to say is that empire has a hard time killing things uh. <laughs> that's not what jay's trying to say at all don't put those words some filthy words in my mouth <laughs> i was just extrapolating uh. <laughs> all right we've ragged on uh, empire uh, too much this show <laughs> only a handful of times but too much uh, poor poor empire just trying to exist i agree just trying to rule the galaxy don't worry with, with one peace. of these days we'll come back into power it it was funny i feel like we were playing a game the other day and jay like rolled like a full boat from an atsd into like my rebel trooper squad and i feel like i rolled like six blocks yeah <laughs> you did it was stupid and i hated it <laughs> but that seems to happen more often than not so it's just my life
<laughs> that's white dice because you expect them to fail and most of the time they do but sometimes they don't and when that happens those moments are super memorable it's like extraordinary yeah and yeah. then it's the, it's the same with opposite but with red dice right when they get all blanks and you're like but i'm rolling red defense dice how is this possible <laughs> yeah this isn't yeah. supposed to happen <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly space brains still die yeah they do yep those ones and twos they are they are literally one third of of the results on the dice, which is. I will say I'm very glad that Terminator saves are not in this game. Yeah. Yes. Same. <laughs> like I'm many. Yeah. Ones. For for those for those that don't play 40k, that's a a two up on a on a six sided dice. So. Yeah, it would be a reverse Wookie save basically, um, or yeah. a reverse B one save. Right. Exactly. Um, which would be a tough thing to kill. Back you would in, need a lot of fierce. <laughs> back back in second edition 40k, Terminator just had a three up save on 2d6. Now I, I think I think in that version saves were different. Like now it's like either you ignore the whole save or you don't. Sure. Uh back in the day they had like modifiers. You know, okay, sure, sure, sure. So it'd be like minus one on your save roll or something like that. So it's not like you could only ever just roll snake eyes and that kills your terminator. If you shot him with a plasma gun, it would be like you know, minus three or something. So then they, you know, but even still, I um, yeah, it's interesting, yeah. Anyway, uh, all right, well, barring any further further final thoughts, uh, we are the notorious counters. I'm Kyle, I'm Mike, me, Jay. All right, stay fresh, you guys.